Today's episode of Rates and Barrels is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, ten, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 68. It is February 11th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Uh, Pitcher Week became eight days of pitching, which is probably a a more unique rates and barrels sort of thing anyway. So that comes to a close with our breakdown of relievers on this episode. So we'll talk about closers a lot. We'll talk about whether saves should even be a standalone rotisserie category anymore. Uh, Some housekeeping before we get to all that. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere that you'd like to listen to this podcast. So if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take the time to do that. We greatly appreciate it. And if your friends would like the show, tell them about the show as well. We'd really appreciate that too. Some of you might be listening to this podcast for the very first time, so if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Everything we do is included with a subscription. Eno, how's it going for you on this Tuesday? Everything's good. Everything's good. I've... uh... I'm a little sick, but I think it's uh, it's like a, it's just like a little one I can knock out of the park real quick. I think it, you know the the temperatures are changing a little bit out here, and there's always going to be you know something waiting for you, especially when you got kids, man. They just they are just festering gobs of nastiness, and they just <laughs> they just pass it to each other. It's almost like they're French kissing or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a. Uh... I'm not a parent at this time, so uh, <laughs> I, I, I see it secondhand, though. I've got a lot of friends with little kids, and it does seem like they are, are sick constantly as they you know go to daycare and school and, and all those kinds of places. Uh, but let's just dive right into some closer talk. And it's become a, a more frustrating endeavor in recent years, trying to pile up saves, especially in no-trade situations. If you play NFBC leagues, if you play leagues where it's just difficult to trade, Finding enough saves on draft day is a unique challenge. And it made me start to think about it just from a, a broad perspective. Like, what matters at this point when it comes to figuring out who is likely to get saves in a particular bullpen? Like, what even matters to teams as they try to decide who's going to finish out games for them? In the past, we've been able to hold on to basically three aspects of a pitcher that have kind of uh, powered decisions that were seemingly powered decisions by managers to make them closers. And those three things were, uh, you know, previous role. So were they the, were they the setup guy? That was the most important. And then secondary were velocity and strikeout rate. Now that, that sounds believable to me because generally uh, we can see through some of Rob Arthur's work that baseball is paying for more underlying skills than results so they're not as interested in your ERA or whatever, and they're more interested in your velocity, your spin rate, your movement on your pitches. Uh, just look at Drew Pomerantz as, as kind of an example of that. 
but Rich Hill was an example before that and so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I believe in those things, but I also think that baseball has changed their attitude towards how the bullpen should be used and, you know, how static roles should be in the bullpen, I think. Absolutely agree with you there. And that's what's made this so challenging the last decade in particular. I mean, you've seen kind of a gradual shift, more and more teams using their best reliever in the highest leverage spot. And then things break a certain way with injuries. A couple guys end up on the IL and something unusual happens like Josh Hader, you know, piling up 37 saves. And that leaves us to wonder well, are they going to do it again? Is he going to get a full season in that role? Is he going to get 50 saves this year with the ridiculous strikeout rate that he brings to the table and, and the good ratios over that slightly larger volume of innings than a lot of other closers? Um, I, I think we're, we are, we're seeing this mindset take over in more bullpens now than ever before. Uh, the Twins are a good example of it with Taylor Rogers. I mean, he got the 30 saves last year, but he didn't start the year as the closer, even though he looked like the most skilled reliever in the bullpen from day one. Yeah, um, and I just think that the number of just like sure things is is out the door. I mean, what was that that piece of research you had about about? you know, a number of of pitchers with 10 saves. Yeah, I ran the baseball reference play index search on this. Uh, I wanted to see single seasons in the expansion era since 1961 that had the greatest number of players with 10 or more saves. And not surprisingly, 2018 was first. 43 players had 10 or more saves in the 2018 season. For reference, 2019 was at 37, which is a top 10, top 7 season actually for uh, players with 10 or more saves. All of the seasons in the last decade or so are at the top of the list. I mean, if you go back down through that, you'll see 2016 is second with 42. 2017 had 40. 2014 had 39. Like, this is just the way baseball is played now. And I think what it has done, it has really shrunk the circle of trust when it comes to drafting closers early. And again, looking at no trade leagues versus trade leagues, there's a little bit of a difference there. You can afford to wait, and if you miss out on your top-tier guys, you don't get burned as badly if you can go trade for the saves that you need later on. Uh, But it's left us in this weird spot where some of the previous dominant closers, Kenley Jansen, even Aroldis Chapman, even though his, his skills decline hasn't been quite as steep as Jansen's, uh, those guys are going cheaper than ever in the high-stakes arena. And I think we're going to see that reflected as more and more home leagues draft in the weeks ahead. Like The premiums placed on those closers has really fallen. And I think there's a little bit of a hangover from uh, 2018, seeing the success of, of Edwin Diaz and Blake Trine, and only to see them both uh, falter for different reasons in 2019, has made people a little bit hesitant to spend a lot of draft capital on their pursuit of saves. I think... Something like 60% of jobs changed last season in terms of closer role. And that's something that Jeff Zimmerman has been researching for a while about just how likely it is that your closer loses his job based on either injury or, or poor production. And really, we're just looking at small samples every year when we're trying to project a pitcher. We're trying to project a pitcher, a relief pitcher off of 50, 60 innings at a time. And 
you know, think about someone like Drew Pomerantz where, you know, it's a half a season. So now you're trying to project him as a reliever off of 30 innings, you know. And as much as I think he's going to be great, you know, these things, uh, when you're when you're working off such a small sample, they're, they're, volatile, they're volatile. And then if you think about who becomes a reliever instead of a starter, the, the reasons they become relievers are lack of command, poor mechanics, lack of a third pitch, and all three of those things can lead to a tremendous downturn because their production is tied. And this is something that Bill Petty researched a while back with aging curves. Their production is tied closer to their velocity than anybody else, uh, than, than starting pitching. So if you look at Aroldis Chapman, he's fine where he's at. He's got a lot of velocity. However, if you've seen his bad stretches... A lot of times, I think most of the time, it's correlated with a lower velocity. And so, you know, he doesn't really have, he has, he has a pretty good slider, but he doesn't really have other options. He can't go to a third or fourth pitch that often uh, when, when the velocity starts going down. And we know from looking at how fastballs perform that if you're throwing over 95, 96, it does really well. But the more fastballs you throw under 94, the more you're at risk for a sharp decline. So in terms of swing strikes and home run rates. So all of the reasons that these people become relievers are the reasons why Kirby Yates was nobody and then he was somebody or why Liam Hendricks was released and then was one of the best closers in the game. And what's going to happen and why Edwin Diaz was one of the best closers in the game and then just totally useless uh, the next year at, at, at times with a five 5.6 ERA. So, um, you know, I agree that we shouldn't uh, spend into it, but I do think that uh, at least when it comes to Chapman and Hayter, I would consider a, a high pick. I feel like they're safer than the most, and especially in a kind of draft and hold, no, no trade situation, um, I want to have one that I really believe in. The problem is that might be the end of the list. That is a shorter list than ever before if it's just really Hayter and Chapman that are, are worth paying the premium for, especially when you know, Yates is definitely commanding that higher price. His ADP in NFBC League since January 15th uh, is at 78. So it's the 25th pitcher overall, and only Hayter is consistently being taken ahead of him. It is a little surprising that Yates goes about 10 picks ahead of Aroldis Chapman. Uh, and you've been somewhat critical of Chapman, I think, for a few years. I remember one of your presentations at First Pitch Arizona, maybe two years ago now, uh, highlighted the, the lack of command that Chapman has. I mean, he gets away with it because he's just had overpowering velocity, so the stuff's been good enough to just kind of mask that. But it does make you wonder, in a bullpen with so many other talented arms, if Chapman hits a prolonged stretch of struggles for a team that has World Series aspirations, does he actually have enough downside to lose the job that that scares you away it seems like at this point the answer is is no for a year or two more I, i'm okay i mean right so 2018 he averaged 99 uh 2019 98 still one of the best average velocities in the big leagues still one of the best max velocities in the big leagues but you know if he comes out next year and averages 97 i predict that he'll have some tough stretches i think he'll keep the job all year and then if he's at risk of dropping below 97 the next year, um, I start to be more and more out on him. So, you know, I, I think he's still he's still fine. That velocity allows him to, to blow through uh, the poor command, as I, as I mentioned. But, you know, if I hear anything in the spring about reduced velocity from him, that would that would bother me because you don't have any of the mitigating factors where 
you know, oh, he's got to stretch out or over oh, this or oh, that. Relievers should pretty much hit the ground running uh, and not really gain. They don't really gain that much velocity over the course of the season. So Kirby Yates, for example, one of the reasons why I'm a little bit worried about him is he's only at 93.9 or something, 94.2. And uh, 94 for me is just a huge number. It's just a huge number. You know, above and below that is really bad. Actually, in fact, last year was 93 and a half. And I know he's got that good split finger and it looks like he has good command overall, but split fingers are notoriously fickle in terms of commanding them. And if, and he throws it half the time. So, you know, if there's any sort of slipping of command or velocity, um, there are definitely Padres ready to go. Andres Munoz throws a hundred. Drew Pomerantz, you know, has the quality. Emilio Pagan saved 20 games for the, for the, for the Rays last year. There are plenty of people ready to step in for Kirby Yates. So I actually see a lot more risk in Kirby Yates. I can't believe he's going ahead of Aroldis Chapman. Yeah, I just I think because the track record's a little bit shorter and because it's a similarly deep bullpen, it's easier to see where things could go south on him somewhat quickly. And I, I don't think that's just the the hangover that I referred to with Blake Trinan and Edwin Diaz burning so many owners uh, a year ago. Uh, Hater is interesting for a few reasons. He came up on this podcast, I think, back in the spring of last season when he was getting really fastball heavy. He got up to about a 90-10 split with fastballs against sliders, got back to 80-20 in the second half. Things were working a lot better for him once he went back to that 80-20 split. Uh, I never really saw a good explanation for why he got so fastball dependent, whether it was a lack of confidence or, or something else, you know, who knows, but he is the first reliever off the board, and I think the interesting thing about it is that he's going right around pick 60. So if you're in a 15-team league, it's the end of round four. Uh, if you're in a 12-team league, it's the end of round five. He has a lot of ways to make that value up. I mean, even if Corey Knable comes back and, and wrestles away a share of the saves and Hayter comes out and has 25 saves instead of the 37 he had a year ago, if he holds up that elite K rate, and he gets you well above 100 strikeouts with a 2 ERA and a, a 1 or lower whip, that could still be enough for him to not be a complete bust at that elevated price. It's not what you want to see happen, uh, but that's a really high floor for a reliever, even with the home run rate issues that Hayter had a year ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at how great he was with the 1.8 home runs per 9. I mean, I, you know, he, he's going to be... He's one of he's also one of the rare guys that is in the middle of his career, has velocity, has track record, you know, and you know, kind of puts all that together where everybody else is kind of like, well, you know, he has two of the three or, you know, so on and so forth. And in fact, um, I'm just perusing command plus numbers for these guys. I don't I don't I don't think it's a be all or end all in terms of any anything, any terms of pitching. I I, I mean, I think it's useful, but um, hater best command of the of the of the sort of top end guys we're talking about. Um, Hendricks and Yates have about similar command, and Hendricks Liam Hendricks stuff is number is way beyond Kirby Yates's stuff number. Hmm. So um, I do think that maybe command uh, is worth looking at with some of these guys for because Diaz's number is the worst. Edwin Diaz's number is the worst of the of the groups that I look so far, and I want to check like Neris, you know, who's been in and out of his role, and uh, he's he's actually surprisingly good. But there, are, like I said, there's a bunch of different reasons that can fall apart: velocity, uh, slough off, injury, or, or command. And so, um, 
I, I and then on top of it, uh, just the high end saves totals. Like what you were talking about with the ten save thing. What happens there is also the high end saves totals go away. So you know, I've been looking at at historical saves totals, and we used to get there were fifties and fifty three and forty seven, and you know, I'm not even sure this year someone will save forty. Yeah, I mean Yates led this group with forty one a year ago. Chapman, Hader, thirty seven. Hendricks, twenty five. Uh, Roberto Ozuna, I think, gets drafted in this range as well. He's got a, a much lower strikeout rate, but he's got the best walk rate of the bunch. I'm just kind of curious, how does he stack up command-wise compared to the rest of this group? Yeah, he's uh, lower end. He's lower end. Good stuff, but but uh, 93 command plus, um, closer to Chapman without all the stuff. In fact, Ozuna to me is one of the uh, weakest top-end closers. Um you know, in terms of strikeout rate, he's not in the top 30 among the relievers in strikeout rate. He has a person on his team that was in the top 15 in strikeout rate in, in uh, Presley, Ryan Presley. And uh, a lot of Osuna's brilliance seems to depend on suppressing home runs, uh, which is kind of weird because he doesn't have a good uh, ground ball rate. Uh, he doesn't really uh, throw a sinker very often. Um, and, uh, he doesn't have like the kind of, I, mean, I guess last year was 96, nine, but before that he was kind of a 95 guy. So he doesn't have that top end velocity for a closer either. So, uh, Roberto Azuna, uh, to me, and, and then last year was one of his best strikeout rates in other years. He's had terrible, stri- like terrible strikeout rates for a reliever. So, um, you know, I think Osuna is being treated as a Chapman hater Yates elite guy. I I see more question marks than other people, I think. The next chunk on my rankings, the guys that kind of round up the top eight, uh, Taylor Rogers, Brad Hand, and Kenley Jansen. I mean, you're you're adding different forms of, of risk here. I think with the Twins, they've got a pretty right-handed bullpen, if I'm not mistaken. So depending on circumstances, maybe that slightly reduces Rogers' opportunities. But you're talking about a guy that still had a 32.4% K rate and a 4% walk rate. So within the top eight, it's the lowest walk rate of the bunch, misses plenty of bats. Uh, are there any concerns for you with, with Taylor Rogers this year if you're chasing him for 25 saves? Not really. And one of the things that's interesting is that I did I did um, do a bold prediction that Bruzar Gratterall would would lead the Twins in saves, and it wasn't so much about Taylor Rogers as it was about you know, seeing a guy who could maybe average 99 or 100 on his fastball and seeing that the Twins don't really have that high velocity in their bullpen. Um, so I, I thought that might be a situation. But in terms of, you know, what's going on in the Twins' bullpen, I think the highest velocity belongs to Trevor May. And uh, I mean, Taylor Rogers is at 94.8, which is kind of amazing because his brother, I th- is it twin brother? forget if they're they're twins but his brother is like a you know sidearm slinging 88 80 poo guy um but uh trevor may is at yeah they are twins 95 6 so trevor may I, and trevor may has shown uh flashes of brilliance last year was his best season altogether uh didn't quite show the command of taylor rogers but I think Trevor may, uh, you know, offer some sort of risk to Taylor Rogers, but 
he's decently safe for for someone now that Gratterall's gone. And in fact, Kenley Jansen, whose stuff has been sort of sloughing off to the point where he's trying to develop a third pitch, um, you know, I, I think uh, Gratterall being in, in L.A. is is some risk uh, to Kenley Jansen. So because uh, Trevor May is his biggest obstacle in some ways, I like Taylor Rogers. Uh, he's one of my sort of mid uh, mid table guys that I could I could pile up, but I will say I was just in a draft on Saturday, and uh, something terrible happened. It was just so bad. I was waiting on closing because I was just like you know I don't because of all these questions I didn't want to you know I didn't want to spend a high pick on one of the top guys and some waiting and waiting, and then I decided okay you know what I'm gonna just jump in with Emilio Pagan, and I draft him. <laughs> And literally halfway through the next round, the news breaks that he's been traded to the Padres. Yeah, that was a, a really tough blow for his fantasy value. I mean, you mentioned there are some concerns with Yates, but it, there's no guarantee that Pagan's the next guy up for that role if Yates coughs it up at all. So uh, to have used a, a mid-round pick on Pagan, only to find out that happened just minutes later, is was, a uh, really unfortunate turn for punch. you. I tried to... Tried to take Diego Castillo uh, to make it a little bit better. I do think Diego Castillo is going to be a big part of it. A lot of people are pointing at Nick Anderson. Um, that's definitely a name. Jose Alvarado is going to be healthy, hopefully, and he'll be part of the picture. And really, the Rays are the microcosm of what's going on in bullpens around the league right now in that they're totally Mike Shanahanning it. There's going to be four or five guys who have five saves in that bullpen. I like Diego Castillo because he has awesome stuff. Averages, you know, 90, 98, 99 on a, on a power, power sinker. He's kind of the righty version of Jose Alvarado. I kind of think those two will combine for saves, and they'll use Nick Anderson more in the 7th and 8th. Uh, but, you know, that remains to be seen. And, in fact, as we're saying, you know, it, it's hard to kind of use what's happened in the past to the rubric that we developed in the past to to even kind of, you know, shed daylight on what's going to happen in Tampa this year. Because in terms of role, well, they all had saves last year. <laughs> they, they did. I heard uh, Alex Fast was uh, a guest on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast over the weekend. And I think he said there were 10 different Rays who picked up saves last year, which yeah. is just ridiculous. I mean, I know there are some odd ways to pick those up along the way, but that's that, that's an outlier type season. Like even... Even within the framework that we're talking about, where teams are, are changing up how they manage the bullpen late in games, they still had seasons where they locked in on, on one guy. I mean, Alex Colomay had a couple big years there. Uh, they've they've been able to hone in at times on one reliever. It doesn't mean they'll do it again, but I, I think we might be overcorrecting for some of the wild things we saw from the Rays. I mean, to begin last season, Emilio Pagan was at AAA. And it was mm. a combination of Castillo and Alvarado mixing and matching initially to close out games. So, and then Alvarado had uh, personal problems and injury, and kind of fell off a little bit. And they ended up using Diego Castillo as an opener, and uh, Pagan just kind of stepped into the void a little bit. Pagan is a lot younger than I realized too. For some reason, I thought Pagan was like thirty three, thirty four years old. Hasn't even mm. turned thirty yet. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why it feels like he's been around so long. I do wonder about sort of age and arbitration and money concerns. We 
We've tried to show that that was a big deal in the past. Then teams actually responded to some of that research saying, no, we don't, we don't make decisions based on arbitration and wards for saves. However, there's a real big reason for teams not to admit that, they're, uh, that they would be manipulating the closer role based on awards, arbitration awards because that would really get them into trouble in arbitration hearings. It would, but it also it, it's funny that they could just manage the bullpen in a way that's mathematically correct and, and achieve that. So it's. Uh, I, I, it's I think funny. about that a little bit with uh, Brandon Workman on the Red Sox. I think Matt Barnes is a superior pitcher. Um, of course, Barnes had some trouble, so it's not that easy to, to connect those dots. However, it is fairly easy to connect the dots on Greg Holland in front of Archie Bradley. Greg Holland got 17 saves last year, um, which you know, Archie Bradley only got 18. That I'm sure that depressed some of Archie Bradley's arbitration award. Um, however, uh, you know, there's uh, it's not that easy when you sort of just if you sort by saves to be like, oh, that person was just a hired hand that came in, you know. Maybe Ian Kennedy was the closer for the Royals because there was cost certainty. He was signed to a deal. He's not going to cost any more, any less. Uh, however, Ian Kennedy was also the only guy on the Royals that could close. I mean, there was that was a terrible bullpen. Um, you know, Rysel Iglesias blew like 15 saves last year and kept the job. Uh, he's got a he's got a guaranteed deal. I I don't know that they were keeping somebody down. You know, I like Michael Lorenz, and I like some of those other guys in that bullpen, but I don't know that there was, like, obviously someone that they're like, oh, this guy's better, and we're just going to keep him cheaper, you know? So, I, I like, I, do you see it? Like, when I peruse the, the saves leaderboard, I don't really see a player who's like, oh, that person was just suppressing salary for somebody. Although, I, I am really surprised. How did Ro- uh, Royanus Elias get 14 saves? Like, what team was that? Uh, mostly with the Mariners, because they had a revolving door. So, it was before that trade to the Nats. Like, he was just... That's right. That opportunity for a little while, but that's that's that that's going to happen again this year, and I don't think it'll. I guess he was one of the older guys on that on that uh, in that bullpen, so maybe you could say that. But how do you how do you then apply that to this year, where there is no old guy in that bullpen? You know, Austin Adams is twenty eight, but you know he's coming off of. Did, did he eventually have the ACL surgery? Uh, I know he's. I think he's hurt. Uh, otherwise. Uh, you know, there's not uh, there's not an easy uh, like oh you know this is the old guy so they're gonna give him the job. Um, you know Yoshihisa Hirano, I guess I don't know. Uh, they're all just unproven and young. Maybe Carl Edwards, you know, if he's healthy, could could take it. But my favorite in the Mariners bullpen is Matt Majel. He's he's the guy that I see popping up as most people's choice to take over that job. Um, they've also got Sam Twivailala, the old Cardinals reliever. Poor, uh, as my well, I remember, poor command, but uh, hasn't really shown in the walk rates too much. Oh, there's some, there's some bad walk rates in there. Uh, and he's the old man, actually, uh, in terms of team control, because he's been pitching since 2014. Um, so you know, nearing the end of his team control, they maybe, maybe they just give it to him. He has. You know, ninety three and a half last year. If he comes into camp throwing ninety four, I could see that. Where uh, Matt McGill, Majil, uh, 
he's 30, so he's older, and he's been pitching longer. So I guess it's those those two are the old man in the bullpen, and McGill had uh, better velocity last year. So that's sort of where I'm going. They they made some tweaks to his um, repertoire in Minnesota uh, that I think really stood out. Uh, he he bumped his velocity up and had the best strikeout rate of his career last year. So it's a simple one for me, but. I don't think that necessarily uh, salary is making these decisions. I think they would rather have someone that can close and then deal with the salary ramifications later, like the Rays did. I think the Rays would last year would rather have Emilio Pagan close and then, oh, crap, he got expensive. Let's trade him. Yeah, there's definitely teams operating that way. I, I don't I don't doubt that at all. And It's not a long list, but I think it it really just throws those unexpected wrinkles into the fold i mean like the rays have a deep bullpen i just i didn't even conceive the idea they would trade emilio pagan like he's not even that expensive yet yeah they they operate like they're obviously thinking about years two and three even as they try to improve year one i mean if you think about the randy or trade again they got jose martinez for year one but the whole reason they wanted Randy Arrezarena is to replace Jose Martinez after they trade him after year one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think they they have that track record of other positions of, of getting rid of guys maybe a year early and just saying, you know what, we don't want to be here when the wheels fall off. Maybe they see something with Pagan where you know last year was as good as it gets and they made a trade that a year ago wouldn't have happened. I mean, Emilio Pagan for Manuel Margot one year ago that wasn't going to happen so there is still that that longer term view i know there's obviously margot fitting really well with kevin kiermeyer in a platoon being a defensive equal or at least a more comparable defensive player that they can roll out there in center field that's part of it too uh but i i think they they're doing a great job of not getting attached to the players that they were able to squeeze more value out of than expected over a short period of time yeah, I mean, the one thing that's maybe a little unsustainable at Pagan is his uh, infield fly ball rate, although he's really had it uh, for three years in a row. Last year, uh, though, his fly ball rate was lowest, and he maintained the, the high infield fly ball rate, and those two were linked. Usually, the higher fastball, your fly ball rate, the higher your infield fly ball rate. So, um, you know, maybe they saw something there where they're worried that uh, he would have fewer pop-ups next year and more home runs. Um, he had 1.9 home runs uh, per game per nine innings uh, with the athletics, almost two per, per game. So that was, there is a little bit of a home run uh, situation there, but you know, given all that we have at our disposal, uh, let's, let's shine a, a spotlight on the giants bullpen for one. One thing I like about a team like the giants is they're not going to be so putrid, and their bullpen is not so bad that they're they're that it's going to be. There's been some Tigers seasons, some Orioles seasons like this, where the the team leader in saves has ten saves, and uh, you know most everybody in the bullpen has a four and a half to five ERA, and it's really just a foobar like you know pass fade the whole bullpen situation. I don't think that's the case for the Giants. The Giants have put, brought together some interesting players. They've got the sidearm of Tyler Rogers. They've got Sam Coonrod, whose velocity really took off after he went to relieving after Tommy John. Um, Sean Anderson has got this weird one-seam sinker. Hundel Gustav has a lot of velocity. Tony Watson has, has some, some um, history to him. 
you know, the money, if you follow the money, it says maybe Tony Watson uh, closes until he's, until he's uh, traded, basically. Um, If you follow the velocity, I think it's Handel Gustaf uh, that probably has the best velocity in that bullpen. Uh, And if you follow the strikeout rate, it's probably uh, Coonrod. So uh, it's funny when you have the kind of different, uh, the different uh, indicators pointing in each direction. Is there someone that stands out for you in that bullpen? I kind of like Sean Anderson, uh, option D. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't meet any of the criteria. <laughs> I liked him a lot more as a reliever, picking up that extra velocity. You mentioned the one-seam sinker. You know, I think contracts and, and money used to matter uh, when it came to how a team, especially a rebuilding team, might decide to go ahead and, and, and hand out those saves. I also think there's a kind of a, this misguided perception that you can you can trick other teams into thinking a guy's more valuable than he is by using him in the ninth inning. I think teams are so far advanced beyond that now that the idea that it was ever true is was questionable in the last five years especially. But now, like teams see right through that. Like they see skills, they see spin rates, they see however velocity, right? Like that's that's all there is. But the- I think that's true, but there I think there probably are differing philosophies about if a pitcher can handle high high leverage. And generally, high leverage does still happen in the eighth and ninth inning. That's dem- generally the highest leverage, uh, just because you're running out of outs. I mean, it's it's a math thing, you know. Um, you know, your leverage is going to be necessarily higher in those innings. So, uh, you know, I think that yeah, probably pitching Sean Anderson in the eighth and he has success is about the same as pitching him in the ninth and he has success. There's some slight swing weight changes in the ninth. Uh, in terms of uh, how aggressive batters are, but other than that, yeah, I think you're right. I think you know if Sean Anderson has success in the eighth inning, he's just as marketable if the Giants want to market him. Uh, to to your point about him being better as a reliever, he had really bad BABIP, which uh, kind of uh, takes away from his ERA as a reliever, makes him look bad. But uh, if you look just sort of at the component numbers, 25% strikeout rate, 12% walk rate. Uh, 350 FIP as a reliever, uh, definitely uh, those numbers I think would make him uh, the best reliever had he had sort of regular uh, batted ball luck uh, in the pen just by sort of traditional metrics. Uh, so, I, you know, I, th- I would say, uh, uh, and, and Handel Gustav is like just so unproven and uh, so far from being a free agent that maybe he just kind of gets screwed by uh that con- conglomerate of of facts that you know there's no reason to make him more expensive in the future they're not going to win games um and it's not like he's so polished and obviously should be the closer you know he's already 27 though so i, I think yeah, age kind of factors in here a little bit and in the age is real, I don't want to wait forever I, I struggle with that when i was talking about the mariners bullpen you might have noticed to me, age is for a reliever is almost distance from free agency. Yeah, you know, as opposed to uh, like actual age on the thing, uh, because distance to free agency plus velocity. He throws ninety six. Yeah, he's going to lose it as he ages, but he's at ninety six now. You know, so um, I don't think he's there's so much to lose there um, in the like year over year. Uh, but in terms of distance from free agency, he's probably three years from free agency at least, if not four. 
Uh, it's the Giants, though, along with the Mariners and, and possibly the Marlins are among the absolute worst. And Pirates, uh, as far as just not really knowing what direction they're leaning. With the Pirates, I assume it's Keone Kella getting those chances. I don't know like how tradable he actually is relative to other similarly skilled relievers. You know, we've had a few uh, team-related clubhouse type things that have come up with him in two different locations and I just wonder how much that limits the appeal for contenders uh, to go out and get him midseason and kind of throw him into the mix as a, a bit of a wild card from my knowledge of how the clubhouse dynamics work I would say it's okay at the deadline uh, to add someone like Kila and because at that point your 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 group has established the connections they've got. They've established what the clubhouse is like. Keela's coming into it as an outsider. And as a reliever, he's not an everyday player. He's not a highly paid player. He's not a star. He's not going to come in and get the locker right by the door. Uh, so he's not going to be looked to as a leader. And if he's annoying or starts fights or whatever, he can be ostracized quickly and... As a reliever, he can just go out there and throw, especially if he's not going to be your closer. Then he doesn't even have to talk to media. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't want to go into my season necessarily with a headache like Keela and Crick <laughs> next to each other because uh, obviously both of those guys, I don't want to pick sides and say one is right and one is wrong, but those guys do not mesh. No, they, they, <laughs> they do not. Um, and it, it's kind of weird because like they're – there's like this range after pick 200 where you have all these guys that if you knew what the role looked like, you could look at the skills and justify taking them a few rounds earlier. That's why they are where they are. But I see Joe Jimenez versus Kella versus you know maybe Mark Melanson, who I, I still think is, is going back into a setup role. I think Will Smith's going to get more saves than Melanson. Most people are, are drafting them that way at this point, but you may end up having to chase some cheap saves. Are any of those guys, Jimenez, Kella, Melanson, anyone in that post-pick 200 range kind of standing out to you as viable? Jimenez does. Jimenez is a good pitcher uh, in a bad... In not, not, it's a pretty bad bullpen. I wouldn't say... I mean, by the depth charts, it's 28, so it's obviously a bad bullpen. But I think they have probably enough pitchers in there to get some like 20 plus saves to him uh but not good enough where any of those guys stand out as being able to take his job and the tigers are just kind of phoning at this phoning it in at this point you know still trying to build and so i think that they'd be fine with joe jimenez just having a, a great year you know get him to have a year where he's got a three three era uh and 25 saves and really start uh marketing him um, uh, you know, to to the rest of the population. I mean, he, I think the rest of the population has already noticed that like there's a 96 mile an hour guy with uh, great strikeout rate um, and a little bit of a home run problem in, in Detroit. But uh, you know, I think a great season could still could still, especially if they tweak something in his repertoire. And from what I've heard, you know, the, the coaching staff there on the pitching side, you know, you know, from internally, they you know, people say that they. They've got all the you know the best tech and the best research at their disposal, and they they listen to their players, and they they're they're really trying to uh, get the most out of them. So, uh, you know, I think Joe Jimenez sticks out. Yeah, 
right. it, it just seems like a very uh, stable uh, situation there. There's some other kind of higher end guys that struggled to varying degrees last year. Brad Hand, skills wise, didn't look that different. I mean, the K rate was right around 35%. The walk rate was even better than it was in 2018. Lots of swinging strikes. Didn't have a major home run issue in the year of the rabbit ball. Uh, when you look at, at Brad Hand, do you see him as more of like a safe top 10 sort of closer, or do you see him as a, a clear decline candidate, especially with the uh, trade that the Indians made where they took back Emmanuel Classe in the Corey Kluber deal? No, I don't, I don't see Hand as very safe at all. Um, he, uh, he was throwing 95 in early 2018, averaging 95. And then at the end of 2018, he his two his four seam was down to 92, and uh, at the end of last year it was 90, like 92.5. At the end of 2018, last year was the end of it was 92.1, and there's a pretty clear pretty clear decline phase in his fastball. And I know he's like at least partially about the uh, the, the slider, um, you know. So I I, I think he's. That's where the strikeouts are coming from. He's still, you know, still a decent pitcher, um, but I, I see that fastball velocity, and I'm worried about him. Um, in terms of stuff and command, his command is is okay, but his stuff uh, lags behind Buck Farmer, Rysel Iglesias, uh, Robert Giselman, Carl Edwards Jr. Oh no, you don't want to be on this list. It's pretty low. I mean, one of the like. Who are the few uh, the few closer candidates that have worse stuff number by by driveline stuff number? Here are the few closers that have a worse stuff number. Mark Melanson's like in a virtual tie with him. Gross. Um, Royness Alias, like not a closer. Got saves yeah. last year. That's not very surprising though. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Trey Wingenther. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos is a little bit surprising to me. Hmm. He's another one of the guys that I was going to get to in just a moment because he's in this bullpen where we're really not sure, and a lot hinges on Carlos Martinez and whatever they're trying to do with him, stretching him back out as a starter. Um, all right, so you're out on hand. The price isn't terrible, but good reasoning, I think, as far as your your hesitation to draft him. Also, yeah, it's not only about hand. It's about the behind hand is like are two of the like basically by uh driveline stuff number Klaus and Karinchek are one and two <laughs> yeah number one and number two in all of baseball so you know there's uh there are there are some fire breathing dragons uh breathing down his neck and you know I don't and, and I could see the Indians being just totally weird I could see the Indians being as weird as the Rays you know Hand gets 10 saves as a lefty kind of lefty closer. And uh, they, and like, I could see them, all three of them getting 10 saves. A nightmare scenario, really. Yeah, the worst. But Class A and Karinchek, I think, would have better ERAs and better uh, strikeout uh, totals. But I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Class A's um, strikeouts haven't really matched his stuff yet. So it's a little bit of an interesting thing there. But Karinchek is like a, Led led minor leagues in in strikeout rate kind of guy for a while. So looking at this cluster, Taylor Rogers, Brett Hand, Edwin Diaz, Kenley Jansen all lumped together 
in the same range in ADP. Ken Giles at the bottom of that group. I like Giles a lot. Like I would actually choose Giles straight up over everybody else in that group. I know there's some risk of a trade there, but I think the Jays are going to be better this season. A lot of young talent there. Full season of Bo Bichette. Uh, you know, obviously Vlad Jr. should take another step forward this year. Um, they brought in Ryu. They they traded for Anderson. So they they've just got a a better foundation there. More chances to win games. That bodes well. They might hang around, and Giles could end up just staying there all season. How do you stack up Diaz? And we mentioned Jansen earlier. I mean, are, are you in on Jansen, or do you kind of have a Brad Hand sort of of approach with him? Before Gratterall was there, I was like, Joe Kelly's never going to be the closer. Was Trinan enough of a threat, though, for you to start to... With Gratterall and Trinan? Yeah. There was a little bit something there. Um, and uh, Trinan actually re- reminds me... So look at this Ken Giles. This is kind of remarkable. I'm just going to read to you, since Ken Giles started closing games, I'm going to read to his ERA year by year. 180, 411, 230, 465. 187. <laughs> it's, it's been a like been pretty a much run. rock solid. His ERA is going to start with four this year, huh? Yeah, I mean, if we're if we're into the numerology, <laughs> yeah. But that's it, how it works. The wild thing is, is that his strikeout rate maxed out last year in Toronto. We get the thirty nine point nine percent with the K rate. I mean, it didn't have any home run issues last year. I threw the slider exactly half the time last year, basically, and had a little arm injury in the second half. So you know, maybe you're a little worried about that, but. No, I, I think he's. I actually like him probably the best. I mean, I like Jansen. I, there's something about the Dodgers in that role where, you know, think about Yasmani Grandal. So, Yasmani Grandal, I know this is like totally a weird non sequitur thing, but Yasmani Grandal had the, the same issues that he had in the postseason all year long. He couldn't block pitches, uh, he wasn't a very good game caller, and yet they played him every day because. Uh, the team con- construct mattered. Uh, the 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 clubhouse mattered because he was the veteran. Because it wasn't any he wasn't blowing game after game after game with these things. You know they they tried them all. And then when they got to the playoffs, what did they do? Oh, now we're gonna you know use Austin Barnes or whatever it was. So I see Kenley Jansen even if he has issues this year, mostly making it through the year. And then in the playoffs, all bets are off. All of a sudden, Gratterall is closing games. You know what I mean? If 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 Kenley has a bad year, so I know that's a little bit uh, voodoo math that I'm doing here, um, <laughs> but I would say that I've thought Kenley Jansen was going to lose his job for like three straight years, and here he is still hanging on, still ticking, right? So I, I kind of think maybe Kenley Jansen makes it. Uh, Ken Giles is interesting to me. I think as a two thirds of a year closer, and I, I do think that they will. Probably because he's he's gonna be a free agent. You know, he's gonna be a free agent next year. And so what I see is that they're good enough to like keep him for the beginning of the year, and but I doubt that they're good enough to keep him uh, for the for the last two months of the year or whatever. Um, and and I think he'll go somewhere. Uh, he's not good enough, I don't think, to drop a qualifying offer on. And because uh, I think he would take it. I mean, a reliever getting an eighteen million dollar contract, I think they would take it. It's Will Smith esque without the consistency but i don't know smith lost the year to tommy john i i I think i think you're right i i don't think they would extend that to him and that's why he's more likely to get traded than smith was but i would have said the same thing about smith this time last year so and he got the qualifying offer yeah so my mind's at least open to that possibility 
Uh, and maybe Giles's representatives say, ooh, that'd be great. Give us the qualifying offer so that we have leverage. And somehow, Will Smith turned that into leverage. Yeah. And, and the way teams value elite relievers, obviously, year over year, that's been one of the groups that's done well in free agency. So, But two-thirds of a year, I think, would be happy. I'd be happy with that anyway. Last year, that's what he's done for like the last two years. 50 innings, 25 saves. You know, I don't think if you smash those two years together, you get the sort of three ERA he's projected for. Uh, and you get 25 saves. I mean, th- what are we talking about? We've just been talking about how there, nobody's going to get 40 this year and how everyone's getting 10, so 25 is pretty good. And getting it with that higher strikeout rate, too, is, is yeah. worth that little extra you're going to have to pay. To so I think them. in that group, what was the group? You got Rogers, Rogers, Diaz, Hand, Jansen, and Giles. Hand is, Hand is I think Hand is last for me, man. I can level with that. And I don't know where to put Diaz because usually you can say, well, role is the most important. And he wasn't the closer at the end of the year last year. No, but so this is one of those areas where cost in the terms of like what the front office gave up in order to get him, I think is still kind of hanging around there where they want, they want him to be successful. They don't successful. want to hear about Jared Kellenich one more time. Right. If Edwin Diaz can bounce back and, and be 2018 Diaz, that really takes a lot of heat off. And look, it's kind of like your, your voodoo math. It's just, it's a read on how I think things are going to work, which goes beyond the numbers. And I think with Diaz, it, it's one of the weirder seasons I've ever seen. I mean, he yeah. still... Missed a lot of bats last year. 39% strikeout rate, but a 2.33 homers per nine. Like, that was... And yeah, when I looked at it, it was just it was just middle, middle shots, you know. He was just throwing down Broad Street a little bit. Um, and he doesn't have great control, but command, but neither do, you know, does anybody else. His, his command number was right there with uh, Rolls Chapman. Are you taking him in the eighth round of a 15-team league where you don't have a closer yet, though? What I don't like about that is that he's going like a closer. There's there's like virtually no discount. It's I mean there is a discount off of him the year before, but there's virtually no discount. Like oh, I found Edwin Diaz in the in the twelfth, you know, or the fourteenth. It's like no, I paid for Edwin Diaz, and you know he was a little bit better than what I paid for. And what could happen? I mean, you might like some of the guys in that range, but if you're in the wrong part of the draft order a run can happen and the guys you like in that tier are gone you don't take the guys you don't like and you're down a level and you're chasing out of a group that includes Hector Neris and Craig Kimbrell and Rice oh Elises. god that's exactly what happened to me with this stupid Pagan and then Dio Castillo and my freaking lead closer is Michael Givens <laughs> oh you know you, you don't want that um, uh, see it, it was an interesting draft, too, because my, my ace is Charlie Morton, and so people were laughing about that, too. But I don't actually have a problem with that, because let me see if I can find this. My my rotation is just a total Eno rotation. Charlie Morton, Carlos Carrasco, Hunjin Ryu, Julio Urias, Garrett Richards, Dylan Cease, Spencer Turnbull, John Means, Michael Fulmer on the IL. IL. That, those are all guys I've touted in the past, and... What I did was I just sort of hit the middle hard, as you can tell, with Carrasco, Rio, Urias. Like that was that was, those were like three picks out of six rounds, you know. Hmm. And I feel pretty good about that in terms of like 
yeah, there's a big health question mark on all four, but if two or three out of the four are healthy, like they're all sort of ace level talents. Uh, however, I also had, uh, since I was also kind of punting pitching to a certain extent or, or like going late on pitching, I also had the problem in the closer department. So now I'm Pagan, Givens, Castillo, and Presley on my relievers. And I got to drop one. Um, I don't even know which one to drop. Get a little time to think <laughs> about it, right? Yeah, I, I they might they were they were talking about maybe doing FAB soon, but anyway, I really liked my my uh, my offense. I started out Trout, um, Devers, Jordan Alvarez. It's a good foundation. Uh, that's what I was doing when everyone else was taking pitching. I'm curious to see how that one plays out for you. I mean, I think alternative strategies can work. You just have to execute and have those guys who become aces and have those. I feel good about the starting pitching. And in fact, I don't even feel that bad about relief, man. I mean, how many people are looking at their relievers right now going, oh, look, I got three great relievers and they're about to lose two of them. Shouldn't be more than a team or two at most in any given league that feel great about the relievers top to bottom. There's not that many good ones to go around. I feel good about how like how good these pitchers are you know in terms of you know they're good pitchers um so anyway my worst offensive player is is trent grisham so i'm I, you know like the offense but like the starting pitching i'll probably spend some fab on on relief this year and i think everybody will which is something we should you know be one of the takeaways from this from this podcast is everybody's going to be spending money on on fab on relief this year and so just bake that into whatever you know in season strategy you connect to your draft strategy. Oh, it's it's going to be gross, uh, but there's a few more names we should get to real quick. Craig Kimbrell, disaster 2019 season. Throw it out and buy at the discount, or let him become someone else's problem in that 140 to 150 overall range. You know the one thing that I so I. I want to say, oh, look at the velocity, and he just really fell off. And, uh, you know, he went from averaging, if you just if you just click the yearly average uh, on his Brooks player page, he went from 97 to 96. It's a, it's a fairly big drop-off for one year. Um, but if you look within the sort of months, you know, he had a year last, he had a month last year where he averaged 97, and then there's got to be some mitigating factor to the fact that he just didn't have a, like a spring. I don't know how much I want to give that for a reliever. I said earlier in this thing that, you know, they should be hitting the ground running. I'd be very interested in his relief, uh, his velocities in, in spring camp this year. But I'm willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt uh, in terms of uh, maybe gaining some of that velocity back, especially since he had a month last year. Uh, where he showed he showed decent velocity. So, in terms of the strikeout rate, it was there. He's never had good command, and I think a lot of what happened last year was command related. So, if he falls and you know I can take him as my third reliever, then I'm all into it. Second reliever sort of depends on how late and how good my first one is. Yeah, second is probably where you're going to have to do it most of the time. Uh, but in like a ten team league, maybe there's a shot you get him as your third, depending on how things break. Alex Colomay uh, on an improved White Sox team. He's done the job before. He's piled up a lot of saves. May have been a little bit hurt last year. 
What do you think about Colome this season? I don't dig on him, man. I mean, this is just this just screams like bad, like a closer for a bad team uh, to me. Uh, like below average velocity uh, for a, for a closer, and then he's he's like a a backwards pitcher where he throws his cutter that's at ninety miles an hour. He throws it seventy one percent of the time, and then he uses his four seam fastball at ninety four for whiffs. And I I just don't I don't dig on it, man. I I just I don't know. The one thing that I would say is I don't I don't see someone who's like itching to take the job from him. I like Aaron Bummer as yeah. the guy that he just reminds me of Zach Britton in terms of being lefty, heavy sink, turbo sinker, good velocity. Like I, just, I think there's there's something there with Bummer. So if, if I had to pick somebody to to emerge to take over that job, Bummer would be that guy. I think the the second or third tier closer I like the most this year is Hansel Robles. Like I I really like what Robles brings to the table. I like his skills more than than Colomay's. The prices are, are pretty similar. I would not be surprised if Hansel Robles finishes this year as a top 10 closer. I don't know what happened. I mean, when the Mets had him, he was 95. And when the Angels had him, he was 97. And like in the same year at some point. So like, <laughs> uh, maybe he just, uh, maybe they just told him to throw closer to his max. Let me, let me look at that. I would be interested in that because that would be an explanation. Uh, certain teams, I think, have a have a different philosophy. Let's see, his his let's see his max change much. His max did not change much. Here's his year over year max velocities: uh, one hundred point nine, one hundred point four, ninety eight point seven. That's a weird, maybe injured year. One hundred point seven. That was twenty eighteen when when they uh, when the Mets lost him. 100.6 last year. So his max has been relatively steady. It's his average velocity uh, that's gone. That's kind of yo-yoed. So uh, I think that's that bodes well for him. He's just, uh, he's just throwing as hard as he can. You know? Let's talk quickly about some current non-closer relievers who you want to throw and away. And he has three pitches. Out. Yeah, well, yeah, Robles is, yeah, he's not. It's kind of fun. He's not going out there just uh, playing the one-note song. Uh, yeah, as you, as we might call it, but the the list of guys that you would actually consider stashing to begin the season who are not closers generally a short list because you can only afford to hold maybe one guy like that. If he's not good enough ratios wise to fill in for your ninth pitcher, then you're probably doing it wrong. Um, you know, basically you're looking for a Nick Anderson type who then takes over the role, uh, not paying the sticker for this year's Nick Anderson. I think we're both kind of out on him and taking our shots on, on cheap rays. So Castillo, Alvarado, Ryan Presley came up on this episode. I think he's definitely on the list for me as a relief. All the guys on my team. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you do have, like, that's that's good. Those are all the all the secondary guys. There's got to be somebody else, though. You're right. Um, I guess uh, let's just, I'm just going to, I'm going down the depth chart. I'm just going to throw some names out there, and we'll, we'll pick from them. So Seth Lugo. Yeah, yeah. I like um, Lugo a little bit. I mean, again, like, what one of these guys on a typical mixed league roster and their cuts if they're not getting the chance to begin the season? Yeah, so Seth Lugo, Corey Kniebel, uh, maybe Luke Jackson, uh, Lou Trevino, um, Tanner Rainey, uh, Amir Garrett, 
think I'm on Stevenson over Garrett if I'm throwing a dart in Cincinnati. I do like throwing a dart in Cincinnati, by the way. I'm I'm not because Iglesias just blew so many last year. Yeah, I just I'm not convinced he, seemed, he keeps it. Like the stakes and are if a lot the team higher. Team is now. better. They're going to be more likely to make a change. Exactly, higher stakes. So that that's probably why I'm a little hesitant to buy into Iglesias and more likely to take a chance on one of those. It, it could just as easily be Lorenzen too. But my argument against Lorenzen is just that because he's this like fringy two way player who can actually hit, he might not really fit into ninth inning usage he might be needed earlier in the game just because of how they're going to use him off the bench yeah i was the nl they probably have well there's a little bit of a softness in center field if if senzel is going to play second or yeah i don't actually consensual is not supposed to play the infield that's what they're saying so um yeah okay I can see that, I guess. Um, and they might be a little bit, I think in terms of like, oh, we've established a new closer. I feel that more with Stevenson than I feel with, with Lorenzen. You know, Lorenzen, they're going to use where they need him. And he's kind of, if he's a stopgap, if like Iglesias is like, I got to take a two week vacation, then maybe Lorenzen. But if they're making it, they're like, this is our new closer. It's Stevenson. And the same sort of thing in, in, in Arizona, Kevin Ginkle, I think, is the closest to being like, hey, he's going to be our new closer. Um, but maybe Junior Guerra steps in if it's just it's just for a couple of weeks. Yeah, Ginkle would be the guy if I were throwing a dart in NL only like reserve rounds. He'd be the, yeah. the reliever I want in Arizona behind Bradley. Trevor May in Minnesota. Tyler uh, Duffy was good out of the pen for the Twins last year. That was one of the surprises yeah. for me last year. How about let me look at Joely Rodriguez in Texas? I mean, Jose LeClerc kind of struggled to get his job back throughout the second half. I know he's got the, the multi-year deal, but Rodriguez comes back over after spending some time in Japan. He was really good there. Is, is he worth taking the chance on in AL-only leagues? I'd love to see his strikeout rate over there and, and, and know more about his story because his projected strikeout rate is just terrible. So seven point nine per nine, seven point nine strikeouts per nine against four walks per nine. I mean, that's just that doesn't uh, scream off the page for me. But I will say that other than Rafael Montero, I don't really see someone that's coming for his job. So I think Leclerc is actually pretty pretty safe there. Um, you know, in the Cardinals, it's really interesting because Giovanni Gallegos is, has the best projection of out of any reliever uh, there. So uh, even. Um, better than Carlos Martinez as a reliever, I think, if I'm reading this right. Unless that's just Carlos Martinez as a starter put into the reliever section. <laughs> um, I don't, I'll have to say, I don't know what's going to happen there because there are a lot of good arms in there with Jordan Hicks, Genesis Cabrera, uh, John Brebia is, is really good, John Gant's been good, Andrew Miller uh, was, was saving games for them. And uh, I've heard a decent amount out of St. Louis just being like, Gallegos is probably not going to be our closer. Uh, but Gallegos has got great strikeout and walk totals. So I don't, I may pass on that one just because everyone's interested. And Alex Reyes is there. He could be a closer. So I may pass on that one just because there's too many good relievers. And it's hard to, to sort of make a case for any one of them. Yeah, and they they may just decide that Martinez isn't a starter anymore, and then you kind of think, oh, well, they got to give him the first crack at closing. So, as much as I like Gallegos's skills, that situation is pretty murky for a team that at least should be in the mix for a playoff spot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Red Sox. 
I mean, it's Matt Barnes again. I mean, maybe, maybe they start with Workman, but it's, it's Matt Barnes again that's most interesting to me. So I'd actually, that'd be a, a decent stash for me. Best uh, projection on staff, best believer on staff. If they go to Workman, Workman has been up and down and is uh, more, I would describe as a journeyman more than anything. At 31, uh, you know, former starter that's, you know, has stopped starting a long time ago, but, you know, has been sort of up and down in terms of minor league. So, um, I'm interested in Barnes there. You know, if it's not Kyle Crick, it's Richard Rodriguez for me in, in Pittsburgh. I think Sir Anthony Dominguez in, in Philadelphia is interesting. He's probably my second pick for closer after Hector Neris and Neris has been up and down. So that's an interesting one. That's actually probably on the level of sort of almost Ryan Presley esque for me where I, I like Sir Anthony Dominguez a lot. Yeah, turnover potential for Neris is a little higher than I'd like it to be for where he's going in drafts, so I feel like I'm probably going to get uh, squeezed out of, of Neris' ownership in 2020. I wouldn't be surprised if I ended up just getting completely shut out on him. Uh, hopefully, this closer-focused episode has been helpful. Uh, if there's any guys we didn't talk about, any situations we didn't talk about that you'd like us to cover on a future episode, you can email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Uh, be sure to spell out the word and if you go the email route on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Other fantasy baseball pods we've got running here at The Athletic. Fantasy Baseball in 15 every weekday morning. Check that out for all the news that you need to know each and every day. And of course, The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. New episodes drop opposite this show on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays in the afternoons. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>